Welcome to the 321 Biz Development and B Sales Executive Podcast on iTunes. My name is Clarence Rick Napier, CEO of 321 Biz Dev LLC, located in Sacramento County, California. 321 Biz Dev LLC brings a combination of sales systems, business development, and website design to worldwide business owners of any size. Our business is people, our product is sales performance. We tell business owners exactly what they need to know and why they need to know it without any gimmicks or fluff. We know what the sales performance struggle is like because we were once there too. And our team of trainers can help business owners meet or exceed their revenue expectations. 321 is the company to call if you or your sales team want to master the following four main sales functions, contacting, prospecting, appointment setting, and closing. 321 BizDev services are available worldwide where the English language is spoken. We can be reached toll-free in the U.S. and Canada at 833-321-3212 or internationally using WhatsApp at country code 1-406-402-6400. We have over 225 hours and 320 episodes of business development content and interviews with business owners from around the world. Today's <clears throat> today's podcast episode is titled The Big Difference Between Marketing and Consulting. Now, this particular podcast episode is going to be so um, I, I'm not even sure how to characterize of how it's going to be interpreted by a lot of people. You're going to have some people that will get kind of mad because I'm telling I, I will be telling people what marketing companies do, and it's not all bad, and it's not bad at all. It's just it's just the nature of what a marketing company does, and then I will discuss what a consulting firm does and they're totally different the functions of a marketing company and the functions of a consulting firm are 180 degrees apart but a lot of people can't tell a lot of consumers can't tell even business owners when they're looking at options to increase their business sometimes they can't tell so this podcast episode serves as as a pretty much a, a definition or the podcast to define so that it is very clear for business owners to understand what a consulting firm is versus a marketing firm. And it also serves uh, the cons- consumers so that they can tell what, what marketing companies really do. So the reason why I'm, I'm doing this podcast is because, you know, when my company reaches out to people, uh, primarily small business owners, and we support attorneys, CPAs, dentists, plastic surgeons, insurance brokers, and uh, real estate brokers. So when we reach out to small business owners, the first perception I believe that small business owners 
uh, have when I call is that they're thinking that I'm going to present them a marketing program. When in fact, I'm offering them a consulting uh, option. And uh, so let's talk about marketing first. Okay, there's really two types of marketing uh, options or different platforms that are out there. So I think platform is a better word. Let's talk about the big company, you know, the, or, or big companies like Apple, Carnival Cruise Line, uh, Universal, um, what else? Uh, Android phones, uh, NFL, you know, National Football League, you know, companies that have 50,000, 100,000 employees and their product reach or service reach or demographic is the entire country or maybe even the world if you're thinking about Apple. So a big company's marketing uh, program consists of employees whose jobs are to put together, uh, you know, uh, video, other types of media, uh, print, digital marketing, uh, packaging, uh, commercials, and these commercials and all the other things I just mentioned in terms of uh, media types, those uh, pr- promotional items are created to trigger a response, to uh, elevate an emotion so that people will say, gosh, you know, maybe I do need that product or maybe my phone needs to be replaced or maybe I need that feature on my phone or Maybe it's a time to take uh, a great cruise, like a Mediterranean cruise. Or maybe, gosh, I love that dress that that woman has on. And a lot of times for marketing, it's not really even the product that's where the focus is being put on. The focus is, is, is sometimes put on everything else except the product. It might be the dress that the woman has on. It might be the hairstyle that the man has. It could be uh, the the shape of the person. Like if you're looking at a at a uh, like say a, an ad that's talking about a, about a vacuum cleaner. Okay, the vacuum cleaner is what it is, but you have this very shapely woman, you know, uh, vacuuming her her house or apartment. So the connection is, wow, that's a very sexy woman. And here's this vacuum cleaner. Wow. So when it's time to, for me to buy this vacuum cleaner, the person making the buy decision will say, maybe if it's a guy, will say, gosh, I'm going to buy that vacuum cleaner because I like that sexy woman in the ad. And seriously, it's, it's like that. Or other things may be colors. You know, you see an ad that comes on TV and you, you look at the color scheme and Maybe it's colors that you like. Maybe it's a, a, a blue-gray combination. And maybe that's the combination that you wear a lot when you're out doing business. Or that's your favorite com- you know, pair of colors. Blue and gray. Or white and, 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 and blue. Or maybe it's brown and, and uh, a, a lighter tan color. So marketing's job is to not only sell you that product. But it's to trigger the emotion that's going to to serve as the catalyst 
for you to buy that product. So a big company like that has, you know, 35, 50, 100,000 employees will have a staff of maybe 30 to 50 people whose job is to, you know, go into think tanks and say, what can we do to trigger a positive response so that this this consumer or this buyer will be will be more inclined to buy our product than the competitor's product. So these 50 people who work in this marketing department, most of the time, 99.9% of the time, they will never see a client face to face. They will never have to do a pitch uh, to a prospect because that's someone else's job. That's the sales department's job. Or if you're talking about a large company, that's the retail clerk at Best Buy or at Nordstrom's or at uh, Firestone Tire or the, the travel agent that's trying to sell you a um, Royal Caribbean cruise. So you will see the, the Royal Caribbean ad on TV and uh, if you have a local travel agent you deal with or you, if you talk to someone online, it's something about that Royal Caribbean cruise ad that you saw that stimulated you to partic- to choose that particular cruise. I must say I have a I have a like a sinus problem with these fires going on in California. So if you hear me breaking my conversation and starting over sometimes, it's because I'm I'm dealing with this sinus issue. But I'm trying to do the best I can. So you see this cruise you like and you you call up and that person that you speak with, uh, that person knows that you're probably 50 to 60, maybe 70 percent in on buying that cruise. And the worst thing that person, that representative can do is, is, is deliver poor customer service or have a bad attitude when you speak with them on the phone. So their job is to be as nice and professional as they can because they know that you are at least 60 to 70%, maybe as much as 80% on the buy side. And the only reason reason why you're calling, maybe you have uh, some questions that you need to ask. Maybe you have some uh, concerns about the amenities or whether or not you have an inside cabin versus uh, an outside cabin. You want to know more about the outside cabin. And it's just a lot of questions that you want to ask. So the marketing department has done their job. If the consumer or the potential customer, if it's a a, a business transaction, has called. So that marketing department with 50 employees, again, their job is to stimulate interest, to uh, uh, drive emotional triggers so that the potential customer will take action and go to the next step. See, when I worked in corporate America in the health insurance industry, you know, the, the marketing department, what they did was that they put together these brochures and these commercials and these print ads for newspapers and, and magazines. And their job was to stimulate interest in the health insurance company. Now, if someone is sitting in a, let's say, a dental office or they're at a, a auto repair shop and they pick up a magazine or they, they pick up a newspaper 
and they're flipping through the magazine or the newspaper and they see an ad with our health insurance company, it's going to stimulate some type of reaction. Maybe the person reading the magazine or the newspaper is the HR director, the person who's responsible for uh, selecting the healthcare company for their employees. So that's out there. So now it's time for the sales department or the person like me when I was working at corporate America to make um, outbound phone calls or or do face-to-face visits, hoping that whomever I'm speaking with, whomever I'm meeting with face-to-face, they have seen some of the marketing uh, pieces that the marketing department created. Because it would be kind of like tough to walk in cold and that person that you're meeting with has never heard about your company. So it would be kind of interesting to you know go to a big company, a medium-sized company that has maybe 300 employees and say, I'm Rick, I'm the account executive at ABC Healthcare. And that HR manager would say, who? ABC Healthcare? I've never heard of you guys. Oh, we're huge. We're in like, we're in 10 states. And the HR director would say, well, I've never heard of you. Well, that's because the marketing department did not put enough pieces out there, whether it be print, television, radio, uh, you know, like I say, print magazines or newspapers uh, so that that HR director would at least be familiar with the company name and maybe the company logo. So that is the purpose of the marketing department when it's a large company. Now, when the marketing company is small and their only goal is to promote a, a, a company's products and services, and we're mainly talking about a small business now. We're not talking about an Apple or a uh, IBM or a Kaiser Permanente, the healthcare company on the West Coast. We're mainly talking about maybe a dental clinic. We're talking about an, um, an IT a small IT company that does, you know, uh, installs and, and virus protection and, and, and cabling and uh, putting together networks for office staff to use the computers. Maybe, you know, 20 to 30 people need to have their computers networked. So this IT firm will go out and do that. So the so the marketing so a marketing company will go to that IT firm and say. You know, we can help you get more exposure for your IT firm. And that IT CEO, that IT firm CEO has to sit back and say, will this work? And the IT firm CEO has to say, well, if I'm going to pay $10,000 for this marketing program, what are the chances that I'm going to make my money back, number one? And number two, how much more will I make above the marketing you know, investment? So that's the concern that the mark, the IT CEO has. He or she has this concern. If they pay the money, will they make their money back plus some? It's not a good deal, of course, if the IT firm CEO pays $10,000 and only makes $3,000 in sales. 
that's not good. Now, it may not be totally bad, but it's not what the IT firm CEO expected from the market. It's a little better if the IT firm spends $10,000 on a marketing program and makes $10,000 back. Now, that's still kind of bad, but it's not as bad as making $3,000 on a $10,000 investment. So some people may say, well, why is you know, uh, generating $10,000 in sales based on $10,000 of a marketing investment? Well, there's something called opportunity costs. So the IT firm CEO spent $10,000 and made $10,000 in sales. That means there was no money made. $10,000 went out, $10,000 came in, zero. $10,000 minus $10,000 is zero. Now, it still may be a positive thing to, to, to sell $10,000 worth of product because that $10,000 may create referrals for other sales based on the initial $10,000 investment. Or that $10,000, uh, those $10,000 in sales could lead to other add-on products and services for those same companies that spent $10,000. So it's not all bad, but what most, you know, people who invest $10,000 in a, in a um, marketing program want, they want something like fifteen dollars or $20,000 back for their $10,000 investment. Um, that's what they want. That's what they're looking for. Now, do they get it? Sometimes they do. Most of the time, they don't get it. And the reasons why most of the times they do not get it is because using the IT firm as an example, typically there's more than one IT firm in a, in a metro area. So that means people who are searching for IT services have options. So there may be 20 IT firms in a metropolitan area that performs the same services and offers the same, uh, you know, products and services. So that $10,000 investment, if that IT firm was one of the few IT firms in the metro area, the IT firm would probably get more than $10,000 worth of business, maybe 20, maybe 25. But since, as an example, there may be 20 IT firms consumers have choices. So maybe somebody looked at, let's say, IT firm A that spent the $10,000 and said, oh, I want IT, IT firm B. So IT firm A didn't get the business. So this all means for the marketing company, this means that the marketing company is going to get paid regardless if the IT firm sells enough uh, products and services to make their money back and some. So the IT firm uh, is paying the $10,000 and not guaranteed any sales because it's not the marketing company's job to guarantee any sales. So that marketing company is going to make money regardless if the IT firm makes money or not. Will the marketing company get repeat business from that IT firm? Maybe, maybe not. If the first uh, round of marketing generated $4,000 worth of business 
and the IT firm CEO is kind of satisfied with that, maybe he or she will spend another $10,000. Maybe the second round of $10,000 might generate $8,000 in business or $12,000 in business. So it just depends on how that uh, you know business owner feels about the return on their investment. But nonetheless, the marketing company will always get paid. You see, and now I gave you some good scenarios with the marketing company, you know, supporting the IT firm CEO. What if it's all bad? What if the marketing company has all these clients and the majority of, the, of those clients are not making enough sales to satisfy at least their emotion and maybe their their balance sheet when it comes to spending $10,000. So that means the extreme case, and I'm thinking this is the extreme case where most companies are not achieving their ROI. What this means is that um, the marketing company, even though it's it's doing its job, it's it's uh, sending out mailers, it's it's doing social media stuff, the marketing company is still getting paid while the marketing company's clients are not making the, the or not seeing the ROI that they're looking for. So it's this last example I just gave you is where 321 BizDev LLC must differentiate itself because 321 BizDev LLC is not a marketing company. We do not go out or call or have presentations with people and say, pay us $10,000 and we will guarantee you or at least, you know, do some work and you should see some results. That's not the definition of a consulting firm. So let's talk about the definition of a consulting firm. A consulting firm's goal or role. So let's talk about the definition of a consulting firm. A consulting firm's role is to dive in into a company's operations and let's say sales. That's what I'm talking about here. Sales and and, and new client acquisition to find out the best methods to increase sales. Not to speculate on increasing sales, not on hoping that sales will occur. It's to increase sales. So a consulting firm's job is to make that customer happy by delivering results not delivering hope not delivering maybes it's delivering the actual end result which is finding new customers so what a consulting firm does and what 321 bizdev llc does is that we ask the you know the the ceo the small business owner questions about their current operations Another thing to know about a consulting firm is that a consulting firm usually has major expertise in the areas that they support small business owners. So if you call an IT consulting firm and let's say you have IT problems. Now I'm not talking about a marketing company to promote the IT the IT firm. I'm talking about an IT consulting firm that uh, goes to a small business owner and the small business owner says, I'm having horrible problems 
with my IT setup? Well, the IT consulting firm is not going to say, well, all you got to do is buy this this uh, $50,000 server and your problem will be solved. Well, that's not consulting. What that is, is marketing. Saying that if the customer just buys a $50,000 server, and those servers cost more than $50,000, I must add, um, the company's problem will be solved. No, what a consulting firm does, it goes in and it identifies uh, you know, pitfalls and failure, failures in the current IT setup. What's causing a problem? Uh, why is this? Why is this problem happening? You know. And then finally, I'm, make, I'm making a long story short with the with the IT consulting firm. What financial damage is being done? What cus, customer service damage is it is being done? What uh, loss revenues? damage is being done and and wrapping the whole thing up and saying okay so your current IT problem might be costing you $200,000 in sales and missed sales lost sales and you know poor customer engagement on the internet so the IT consulting firm's role is to remove those problems not guess at it but remove those problems so that the $75,000 loss due to poor customer service vanishes. So that means instead of a $75,000 loss, there is no loss or very, very minimal. That's outside of the outside of the control of the of the IT solution. If the IT problem is causing lost sales where reps cannot connect to the mainframe and, and upload, you know, sales like, as they should upload, then the IT consulting firm's um, goal is to solve that problem so that, you know, reps in the field can upload uh, new sales so sales are not lost. So if, an, so if a rep was uploading a sale before the, the, the problem was fixed, the rep comes in and say, I uploaded, uh, you know, $17,000 worth of sales. CEO says, well, I never saw it. And then the IT setup shows that that uh, sale never came through. And that customer that paid the $17,000, they don't want to do business because, because they've been waiting on the solution that, that they paid for. So the consulting, the IT consulting company's role is to fix that problem so that the $17,000 upload from the service rep will not get lost so that that $17,000 uh, uh, sale can be fulfilled and delivered. So a consulting firm, uh, in terms of what 321 does, when you talk about sales, it's vastly different than a marketing company. In fact, there is no crossover because when you're talking to a small business owner and that small business owner says, I need more sales. The solution can't be maybe. It can't be, I hope this works. Again, the, the, the results must appear. And typically, when it comes to sales, the four functions where sales uh, will be improved are the contacting phase, the prospecting phase, the appointment setting phase, and the closing phase. 
So if you look at how sales are generated, think of the, the phrase pipeline or the word pipeline. Now, for people who are not familiar with that word pipeline, uh, a pipeline when it comes to sales is where new potential people enter the, the, the process of, of looking at the product or service and deciding if they want to buy or not. So that's the, the contacting phase. The next phase is determining if that person who was contacted um, has a strong need for the product and can afford it. The next phase in the pipeline is setting the appointment uh, uh, correctly, because there's a lot of there's a lot of mistakes that can be made when the appointment is not set up correctly, or uh, the appointment setup process has failure in it. It could be something like the person. I'll use a dental example. Let's say a patient comes in to see uh, a dental for a possible, you know, some work done by the dentist. So the patient comes in, the person getting the, the teeth cleaning or the x-rays, they're, they're getting the x-rays done. And, uh, and then the dentist comes in and he or she looks at the x-rays and, and, and does the cleaning. And the dentist says, well, Joe, this is what I'm going to recommend that you get in terms of the treatment. This is a treatment plan that I'm recommending. So Joe's like, okay, well, y'all look at it. And the dentist will say, well, go see the receptionist to make the appointment. So Joe sees the receptionist and the receptionist is horrible with the the appointment setting process. Uh, And a lot of times the appointment setting process has a lot to do with price. And maybe you can look back, you know, to what, what the dentist did. Uh, in terms of talk about how much this would cost, maybe the dentist has a should have a stronger role in talking about what this costs, or the the receptionist should have a way to um, discuss price and insurance pricing and uh, you know how the process works. And I mean, this so this there's work to be done from you know looking at this pipeline. And what a consultant could do to remove the likelihood or some of the probability or the high probability that when Joe meets with that office manager, and I'm, I think I said receptionist before, I met the office manager, the person who is talking about the price. There are ways that the office manager can be trained to uh, talk about price and to make the decision to move forward with the with the dental treatment more of Joe's decision more more so than ABC Dental's decision. So I'm, I know I'm not probably I'm being kind of vague here because I can't say everything on this short podcast episode. But at that appointment setting stage stage, that's where the office manager can be trained better. And in fact, for this particular dental example that I'm giving you, it's also the office manager's job to close. So that office manager is not so much setting the appointment, they're setting the appointment uh, in agreement that Joe said he wanted to move forward. So at that appointment stage, not only is Joe agreeing to the appointment, but Joe has to agree 
that his out-of-pocket costs may be four or five hundred dollars with the insurance company picking up twelve hundred dollars and it's that office manager's role or responsibility with proper training to make sure that when Joe sits down with that office manager Joe does not say you know during the dialogue between the office manager and Joe Joe does not say "Ah, that's okay I'll wait or I just won't get it done because that means the the dentist just spent time on x-rays and cleaning and he he or she won't get paid for that because typically x-rays and cleaning are services that, that are freebies you know, the x-ray, you do the cleaning, or maybe it's $49. So the dentist is not in business to make $49 and have Joe walk away and and not uh, move forward so that the dental clinic can make $1,700. Where a consulting firm has to go in and ask a bunch of questions, um, you know, talk to the staff, primarily with the business owner, and sometimes it's the other staff members to identify where failures may be occurring, where loss is occurring. And, you know, again, looking at that pipeline system where you have uh, contacts, you know, making a contact with the particular person, deciding if the person will move forward from a contact to a prospect, going to the appointment stage, and then finally the closing stage, which is uh, the, you know, a person like Joe agreeing that there's a, 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 the need to move forward to pay the $500 out of pocket to receive that $1,700 dental treatment. So the consultant's role is very, very important. And again, it's not a hope. It's not a maybe. It's not a wish. Consultants must deliver because, again, consultants typically have the experience to remove that failure from the, 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 the process of going from not having a client to having a client that pays and you know and that money goes to the bank to the company owner's bank and it's okay for people to, to pick I mean if, if a business owner wants to pick marketing and and put out ten thousand dollars and maybe the business owner will make back the ten thousand maybe they'll make three with uh, anticipation to make the balance and more in the future based on the initial $3,000 or maybe that business owner will make back the 10 and make more in addition to that 10 on the $10,000 investment or maybe the business owner will make 15 and make more than than the $10,000 investment in addition to that 15 they made initially and then again like I said then it's the consultant the consultants who come in and help the business owner One last thing to add about the consultants, generally when consultants provide solutions, it requires more participation from the business owner. And what what I mean by that, the business owner and the staff will be trained to, to perform better, to be more productive because consultants can write the best uh, remedies for improving sales, but if nothing changes in the office, then the, the consultant's work, although ironclad will work, if nobody makes changes with behavior or if they don't make changes with communication, then 
even the consultant's work uh, will, will fall flat on its face. But typically that's not the goal because when a business owner brings in a consultant, that means that if an employee is the person who is not cooperating with the new plan, the employer can replace that person and bring on uh, an employee who will fit in with the plan. Because often it is not uncommon for a consultant to say, uh, you know, Mr. Business Owner or Miss Business Owner, we can implement this, but Ralph or Joni is uh, a liability. I can't get them to go with the plan. So the business owner will say, well, what should I do? Well, you can try to, you know, counsel, you know, Ralph or Joni that they need to, you know, change how they think and, 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 and adapt to a new working situation. Or you tell Ralph or Joni, adios. They can't work there anymore. It's that serious, especially now with COVID-19. All business owners must make sure that they have good employees who can adapt and make changes to their behavior and to how they perform. Because now is not the time for an employer to have a weak link on their staff. It is not the time. It is no longer um, profitable for an employer to have, um, you know, a liability on the team where, you know, as, as the business is going through the pipeline, as, it, as it's going through the system, then all of a sudden it goes in this hole because an employee cannot adapt to the, to the new environment, especially with COVID-19. So I want to thank you for listening to this podcast episode. I just want to say if you are a white collar small business owner and this podcast episode addresses a concern or situation that you are going through right now, please do not hesitate to call me at 833-321-3212 or internationally using WhatsApp at country code 1-406-402-6400 to see if 321BizDev LLC can help you find a winning solution. We recommend small business owners looking for a solution. Visit our website at 321BizDev.com slash services to complete a questionnaire. We have questionnaires for attorneys, CPAs, dentists, plastic surgeons, and insurance brokers. And we will have one soon for the real estate industry. Again, thank you. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast episode. Make it a great day.